Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,679. Today I'm back across the pond and we're talking very, very high caliber model cars. Sit tight. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm back across the pond. Seems like I've been there many times in the last few weeks. I'm in Bristol in the UK talking to a very special guest by the name of Sandy Copeman. Sandy, welcome to Cars Yeah, my friend. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I absolutely am, Mark. I'm looking forward to it, and thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you. You're very welcome. Well, listen, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into some questions I have for you, I would like for you to share my with my listeners one little thing that most people may not know about you, Sandy. Probably apart from my family and some very old close friends, most people don't know that I lived in a commune as a young hippie with a a community of artists. Wow. Well, now the secret's out. So this is very interesting. A commune as a young hippie. Yes. Well, that's cool. Back in the day. Let me ask you this. What's one thing you learned from that experience or you took from that experience that was very positive? I suppose I learned, actually, I I connected with the world of art. And although none of the people that were I was living with at that time were famous at the time, some of them have gone on to be so. And I just developed an enthusiasm and an interest in the world of, of art and painting and sculpture. Oh, fantastic. Well, very cool. Well, it's obviously carried forward into your careers. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Let me give Sandy a proper introduction, and we're going to dive into this very fun world that he's created for himself. Sandy Copeman is the founder of Amalgam, a luxury automotive model brand that he created back in 1985. He worked as a professional model maker, creating a miniature model village, building the best of Britain's architecture, and then as a professional architectural model builder. With Amalgam, he began developing partnerships with marks including Ferrari, Lamborghini, Mercedes, Pagani, Bentley, Rolls-Royce, Bugatti, and McLaren, amongst many other very important automotive brands, including partnerships with all the leading Formula One teams. These very demanding partners and customers have driven constant improvement in innovation, and Sandy has led the company in keeping ahead of emerging technological material, digital, and design opportunities at Amalgam, and has embraced maintaining Amalgam's positioning as makers of the finest model cars in the world. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Sandy, but first a word from our valued sponsors that make this show possible. So give them a little love, sit tight, and get your testers out, your X-Acto knife. Well, maybe you're going to need a lot more than that. We'll be right back. Do you have a pet in your household that loves to go for a ride? Our pets are part of our families, but they can be very hard on your vehicle's interior. Well, Covercraft has you covered. They offer a wide variety of solutions to protect your vehicle's interiors from Fido's rough treatment. Canine cargo area covers are padded for comfort and provide door-to-door protection. Pet pads have built-in features to keep cargo areas and seats protected. Covercraft solutions cover cargo areas, bucket or bench seats, and protect from damaging claws, pet fur, 
hair, mud, moisture, and that occasional drool from permanently damaging your vehicle's delicate surfaces. Choose from a variety of styles and colors that cover almost every vehicle made. Is your dog getting a little old? Covercraft even has a pet ramp so your trusted companion can get himself into and out of your vehicle. Here's something special to you from me at Cars Yeah. If you go to Covercraft.com and use the code YEAH120, Y-E-A-H-120, you get 10% off your Covercraft order. Go to Covercraft.com today and use the code YEAH120 and you'll get this special 10% off. Tell Fido it's from me. That's Covercraft.com. Use YEAH120 at checkout. Covercraft, they've got you covered. Woof. American Collectors Insurance, that's how I now protect my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. Are you insuring your classic vehicles on your regular daily driver auto policy? then your special vehicles are at risk. Your regular auto insurance carrier won't tell you how much you'll get until after a claim, and more than likely, you'll be in for a rude awakening. With agreed value policy from American Collectors Insurance, you'll be paid your vehicle's full agreed value. No surprises. If you're driving your collector car less than 5,000 miles a year, do what I did. Call American Collectors Insurance and get your very own agreed value policy tailored to your specific vehicle. If you're like me, you're picky about who works on your special ride. A great policy allows you to choose your repair shop of choice, and that means you'll know the job is done right. I shopped around and decided to protect my car with American Collectors Insurance. They've been protecting vehicles since 1976. Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love. I did at American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. All right, Sandy, we are back. And as we continue on this journey, we're going to call your life. I would love to start with a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that has great meaning for you. I say it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so Sandy, grab the wheel. So I guess this is more of a an idea that I always return to or a concept, and that definitely springs from my personality, my particular personality, and that is that I hold the experience as valuable above all other things. So, you know, ultimately, if you're painting, sculpting, making a model, I know anything in the world of creativity, the end result, the experience for the for the viewer, the customer, the the client, is absolutely what it's all about. And I mean, that goes for me as well. Is that I value the experience of being with friends, of driving an amazing car, riding an amazing motorcycle, being a a fantastic event. It's always about the experience. And it's kind of obvious in a way, but people do get really distracted onto the process that gets you to the experience. And I would really say that's been massively reinforced by my experience and and Amalgam's experience with Ferrari. The experience were creeping in there again. Um, Mm -hmm. But the experience for them is absolutely key. So it's not just about making the fastest car, the most efficient, the most beautiful. It's about what does it feel like to drive that car, to see it, yeah. and to see it rise. You know, you figured out the secret sauce to life, and it is the experiences. Many times we're so busy trying to get to an end goal that we forget to stop and smell the proverbial roses, our flowers, and enjoy the process as we go. And for someone who has built a 
life and a career and a business around creating beautiful objects. And for those of us who are car people, automotive enthusiasts, we all have a couple model cars. Some of us have way too many model cars. They're everywhere and our spouse is going to put up with us. But they're little magical dream makers is what I say, because I figure for myself, if there are certain cars that I cannot afford or I would not want to spend the money on, I can still have that beautiful object to look at and to dream about and to enjoy. And I can't park that car on my desk, but I can put my model on my desk and I can sit and admire it and dream of what it would be like to be in it. Let's dive into Amalgam because I love, There's a well, there's a lot of things I love about your business. For one, these are not just little trinkety toys by any means. These are at a level that are going to blow you away. And I want to start with the name because I love the name. Now, when I think of the word amalgam, it kind of goes back to dentistry, if you will, old fillings and mixtures of different things. But that's really what model building is about. So is that why you chose that name? It is. I mean, sadly, in the U.S. and in Germany, probably in other languages and countries around the world, amalgam is synonymous with the stuff that you used to fill to. Well, not anymore. There's new technologies around now. But um, in English, English, uh, it is, you know, on the island here. Where the real English is spoken. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to say such a thing. The, um, but the, the, the meaning is much more recognized as, yes, you know, if I say amalgam to people, they're sure to be thinking about tooth fillings as well. But the, the root meaning of it is about a mixture and a mixture of things that on their own are not as powerful as they are when they're brought together. Mm. So it's a, a powerful or a, a more efficient or useful mixture yes. of different elements brought together. The, the sum is greater than the parts. I've known about you guys for a long time, and you and I, as you recall, we met at the Quail. Michael Furman, the great photographer who's been a guest on my show a couple of times now, introduced us. And I, you know, I had a whole field of cars at the Quail event, real cars, and I couldn't walk away from your booth and looking at your models. And I, I kind of, when I finally did, I went, isn't this silly? I was so enthralled with these models when there's all the real stuff right behind me. But the level of detail and the amalgam of what you put into these cars is absolutely special spectacular. So tell me more about this business, the reason you chose it, and why you have elevated model making and collecting to such a high level. So let me touch on that point about the, the model being more fascinating in, in many ways. You know, oftentimes we'll have a model display at an event like that, and we find that there are at least as many, sometimes more people looking at the models than looking at the real cars. <laughs> and there is something about miniaturization, which is fascinating. There's also, at, we've chosen to work at a particular scale, largely. We've diversified a little bit recently, but mostly we're making models at one to eight. And I went to the um, an event many years ago, I couldn't possibly remember which year actually, but it was the final event of the Jordan racing team, Jordan Grand Prix. Oh, yeah, the great Jordan team, yeah. Yeah, yeah with dear old Eddie mm-hmm. at the helm. And Eddie was retiring or, you know, the, the team was going to be rebadged. And they had all of the cars, a, a series of the cars that they'd raced through the through the years from 95 onwards. And we also had a display of the models to those cars. And it was really interesting to notice that you could see, you could capture or you could understand the evolution and the differences between the cars looking at the models 
even though you had the real cast there to look at. There's something about the size of the model at that scale that allows you to really capture the whole, encompass the whole thing in a glance. So, and moving on to your question, I mean, that is partly perhaps what's kind of captivated me about making models. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, a, I suppose, starting when we started Amalgam, it was all about um, serving architects and designers. And so th- there's a, a philosophy and an approach to doing that, which is, which we kind of understood and employed and gained a, a, a significant position in that world as serving really significant architects, which is about being there exactly that to serve, to understand what they're, where they're trying to go with the design and to deliver that, you know, to capture it and kind of bring it back to them in a, in a scale form. Mm-hmm. And that I suppose is where, you know, having had that process of, of working through that in that world, creating working with really high-end designers and architects and understanding, you know, really tuning into the to the value and the, you know, how exciting what they were doing was and then delivering that in a model, that kind of leads you then directly into, okay, you know, not every car is exciting enough to deserve an amalgam model or any other model. Maybe it will be to somebody, you know, but to the <laughs> majority of people, there are particular kinds of cars, you know, really high-end, high-performance and, and the, the high value of those cars, like a Ferrari, it demands then that the design of the exterior, is they pay a lot of attention to it, and it becomes an art, uh, an art piece in its own right. Absolutely, it does. I was uh, scrolling through my recent issue of Magneto Magazine, and I just had Jeff Love, one of the co-founders on the show, his partner in crime there at Magneto, uh, across the pond, as I say, in the UK is... David Lillywhite, he's been a guest on the show too. And they featured a special version of your cars, your weathered series. And I was fascinated not only by the fact that you were doing those, because most of us think of models as they have to be pristine and perfect like these old cars. So people like the idea. But then you're taking them and exacting the looks after something like the 24-hour of Le Mans. And I was just fascinated by the process and not only and the detail and taking photos of actual cars down to the drips of oil and the broken headlights how has that series gone for you i would imagine people again the fascination of miniaturizing something and then adding those details is absolutely fabulous yeah i mean that's gone very well there's been a tremendous demand for those models i mean we're going back to what you were saying about the model representing a dream well, you know, starting you into a dream about the car, the, the real thing. I think that the weathering is really capturing a moment in time. That's, that's what we're trying to do with that is that your, your memories, your attachment to the car, if you're going to buy that model is all about a memory of probably about the experience or maybe you're dreaming about how you could have been there in the 1920s. Neither of us were there at that time. <laughs> yes. But, not, not quite, but, um, <laughs> So it's a way of really capturing a moment rather than a generality about that model. Yes. And uh, that, that, I think, has really hit, a, uh, hit the spot with a lot of people, and there's a, there's a lot of interest in those models. So we'll be doing more of those. And I think that, that is a, you know, that's another aspect of what those weathered models deliver is a, a sense of, the, uh, of the, the courage and the endurance of the drive because these are pretty much always endurance cars. Yes. So, you know, 24 hours at Le Mans, um, it really kind of delivers a, a, you can understand 
what that car has been through, what the drivers have been through, and and it gives you that sense of a, a battle fought and won. So that's another reason for the success, I think. Hey, what's the favorite thing about this business that you've created, Sandy, for you when you go into work every day? What warms your heart every day when you walk in the door? I'm... <laughs> I'm tempted to quote Enzo Ferrari. That's well, you know, okay. It's about the next car, isn't it? It's the next. But it oh, is for me, the next one, yes. It's the next thing. It, it's, um, it, you know, the satisfaction of having developed something which is, you know, it, it is pleasing people, that it's kind of giving people a, a buzz or an excitement. That That's great. That is majorly part of it. But for me, it's always about the next thing that I want to. You know, part of what I do is about choosing models, choosing the way they're going to be presented, um, what race is going to be represented and, you know, how we're going to, what scale we're presenting at. But we've taken that to another, in another direction recently and developed a, a series of sculptures, little miniature sculptures of the Corvette. Um, and also we've got a, a project underway at the moment with the Formula One group, which will be of the new Formula One concept that will mm. hit the track in 2022. Wow. So those kinds of, you know, that's where I'm, I'm always thinking about the next thing. The next thing. Yeah, well, that's certainly fun. Is it difficult to find the craftsmen required to put these things together? Because, again, I want to remind our audience, I'll put a link to it, but they're easy to find. Amalgam.com. Just go and check it out. And you're going to be there a while because you're going to be marveling at these models. And you're going to want one or two or three or four. Uh, As I said in the beginning, these aren't little trinkety models. These are very, very fine, detailed models very focused. So finding the crafts people that put these together, is that a challenge? Because I hear that from people who are actual fabricators, finding people who are willing to sit down and do this, or do you have this really nice pool of folks that, I mean, imagine getting to go build models for a living. That sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> no, that, that is, it's definitely more of a, a lifestyle than just a job, isn't it? But yes. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tougher than it perhaps used to be in the sense that now the, the process of becoming a model maker has been much more, um, it, it's now taken for granted that you need to do a degree course, which is going to be a, a specialism within a design course. Mm-hmm. So the young guys that come to us, they feel like, hey, I've got a degree, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready to rock here, aren't I? Well, probably not. And <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and and really all of the all of the really worthwhile skill is built up through experience and it really it comes down to an apprenticeship style relationship mm. with somebody who really knows what they're doing so it's not that difficult to find people it is difficult to get them to the level that we want them to be and that they need to be um and that just takes time yeah so more than anything Absolutely. I always ask my guests to share a big challenge they faced in their lives. And it couldn't have even been a big failure that you faced, but it's really more about what you learned from that experience and how did you come out in a positive way. So if you'll take us on a little journey uh, about one time in your life when you found things to be quite challenging, that would be great. Yeah. And I, you know, I did struggle to find, (laughs) not because there aren't any failures, Absolutely sure there are. But I struggled to find anything that felt kind of particularly interesting, really. But And then I realized that the big struggle, and I think Amalgam has taken up a really massive part of my life. Um, it's about 35 years that I've been, you know, as one of the founding partners in 85. And, and, you know, here we are in 
2020, so it's quite a long time. Yeah. But that's been a, a, you know, for sure that's been the biggest, biggest challenge for me in my life, albeit over a very lengthy period. And the, the biggest and most difficult thing about that has been taking entering a, a, a an area of activity, model making, where people expect that it's going to be relatively cheap. So we've we've started because we were coming from working with really high end designers and architects, and then we started working directly for Formula One teams, and then for you know started with Ferrari, and then you know diversified into um, road cars and classic cars and so on. So our clients from that when we were purely working as a service company, were all really high-end. Right. And that led us into doing models at a big scale, mm-hmm. incredibly highly detailed, because that's what was demanded of the usage that these these clients were going to put the model to. So we then decided to open up and offer models to collectors and to owners of cars. But suddenly you're in a world there where the expectation is of, you know, these models are, are cheap, and how how much you know how, really can right, you really right. expect me to pay that much for this model? And that's been a massive journey that we've been on right from the beginning. I you know in terms of offering models to the wider world as opposed to the, the manufacturers and, and designers and so forth. That's really only started in two thousand with the the Ferraris. The Michael Schumacher era was when we kicked into that. But from then on, you know, right from the beginning, there was just a lot of pushback in terms of the price and a lot of people think that we're just a lot of people but for sure there are some people who think that we're just marking these models you know we're making a fortune and just you know putting any price we like on it and that's absolutely not the case i mean you know everything all of our pricing is driven by the cost Mm -hmm. of making them and the philosophy of being of always wanting to do it better and always wanting to to do the absolute best that we possibly can I mean, of course, we talk about budgets from time to time. You know, anybody in a business <laughs> sure. is talking about how much they spend on stuff, you know. But the overriding kind of characteristic of our of our pricing regime is that we're just trying to do everything as best as we possibly can right. and then charge a price that allows us to make a small profit. And that has been a tremendously difficult mission. And it's, you know, we've been pretty close to the edge of oblivion sometimes. <laughs> So that's been pretty tough. And that's it, really. Well, uh, it makes sense to me. But again, when when you can see these models and you'll listeners, you'll see this when you go on the website. And I can tell you, having seen them in person, model is almost an inappropriate title for what you're doing. To me, they're works of art, they're creations, and they're pieces that you'll have in your family forever. Uh, they've, I'm no doubt many have become collectible. I've seen many on the secondary market for sale. And as you do limited editions, there's no more available. But again, when you compare it to, well, I can't go out and buy a brand new, I should say brand new, but a beautifully restored, let's say, Ferrari Dino. I mean, they become three, $400,000 cars. I'm probably not going to do that. But I've always wanted one. So I could have one sitting on my desk, enjoy it, look at it, marvel at it, uh, peek in the window and think, wow, the craftsmen that put this together, and I hate to say this, but they probably did a better job than the original Dino, if you've ever looked <laughs> at one of those up close or seen one taken apart. So uh, I understand. But I love the fact that you've gone to that higher level. You stuck with it. You said, this is where we are. This 
this is our place because there certainly are multitudes of model makers down on the lower end that are much more affordable, but there's just so many of them. And why play in that sandbox? Why not elevate yourself? So kudos and bravo to you for what you've done. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. We'll be back. I want to dive a little bit into your personal passion for cars and models. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Let's step away from the conversation and talk about our charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits that are working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through auto-related events, car shows, and drives. Among these nonprofits is TechForce Foundation, a great organization dedicated to solving the technician shortage that threatens the transportation industry today. By providing career development resources and increasing awareness and enthusiasm for the tech profession, TechForce is bringing bright young students into the auto, diesel, aviation, marine, motorcycle, motorsports, and restoration worlds. To date, they've awarded more than $10 million in scholarships and grants to tech students. And in times like these, I don't have to tell you how essential those techs are. Keeping our delivery and emergency vehicles running and keeping America rolling. To learn more about TechForce or to make a donation to this cause, visit www.techforce.org. You'll be glad you did. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read, whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. Kevin Buckler is a winning racer and team owner of the Racers Group. He has over 100 professional wins, multiple wins at the 24-hour of Daytona and a win at Le Mans. Kevin realized the racing world is about the people and founded Adobe Road Winery. He and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own with a racing twist. Just like in racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, superb taste, all blended together with a whole lot of fun. There are four carefully crafted blends with race-inspired names, Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. When you purchase all four, you get the entire lineup in a beautifully designed gift box. There's a printed description of the blends inside the box lid, and every bottle is parked in a protective die-cut placeholder. The bottles feature three-dimensional labels, and I promise you'll want to keep them after enjoying these delicious wines. The box is so cool, you'll want to keep it too. The Racing Series is a killer gift 
for the automotive enthusiasts in your life, and I have a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word, all caps, at checkout, you'll get $10 off any purchase of wine from the Racing Series. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout for $10 off on your purchase today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH today to get your deal. Cheers. All right, we're back here, and I would love for you to share a story with me, Sandy. You must have some kind of a fascination or passion passion for automobiles. I mean, you've done this for so long. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you look back when you realize you were a bit of a car guy? Yeah, well, I'd say there are a couple of things, one of which is extremely mundane, really, but it's just about my first drive in a car around the courtyard, a kind of uh, probably a couple of hundred yards by a hundred yards compound around a disused barracks in southeast London. Uh (laughs) And one of my pals had got his hands on a a Ford console, which you probably won't be familiar with, but that was a very, very modest, small family car. Mm. You know, lots of working class people were aspiring to owning a Ford console back in the late 60s. -hmm. And um, so one of my pals laid hands on this car, which was beaten up, you know, it was at the very end of its life. No paperwork, no license, no, you know, nothing, basically. It was, and I can't honestly remember how the hell he got it there. Um, but somehow, or maybe maybe the, the seller brought it to oh, this sure. disused barracks, <laughs> I expect. Anyway, and then we had turns driving around. And, whoa, I was straight away into, you know, hanging the tail out and kind of, this was, <laughs> weren't going very fast, probably hitting a maximum of 30 miles an hour, I would guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that experience, I mean, that's, you know, honestly, I think the, the, for me, the kind of deep, the deep rooted thing about powered vehicles is just that feeling of power. Yes. You know, the, the feeling that you suddenly got an, a whole world of, of power in your hands that, you know, before that, it was just, just your legs or hands. You know? I mean, that's an amazing experience. And that really, I remember that very, very clearly. And the freedom it provides you when you realize I can go anywhere I want. Yeah, well, of course, at that time, we were way under driving age, so we weren't going anywhere. <laughs> well, but, just in circles. <laughs> just in circles, yeah. Well, kind of rectangles, probably, but more than circles. But, um, and then the other thing that another really strong and, you know, deep memory for me is my first ride on the back of a performance motorcycle, mm. which was already a kind of aging classic, but it was a Velocet Venom. Ooh. And a, a friend of mine, I don't know if you know Velocets, you know those, Mark? I do a bit. You know, I've, in fact, the day that we're recording this show, uh, my guest today is a gentleman from Australia, Ian Falloon, who is a big time vintage motorcycle guy. Um, he just wrote a book about Moto Guzzi, but he's got all sorts of books. And that's how I've learned about some of these obscure bikes that maybe never really made it over here to the United States. But just the name of that bike is cool. Yes, and we'll come to the the um, Motoguzzi later, perhaps. But because um, <laughs> I used to own one of those, but the um, the Velocet Venom, fantastic! It was a Velocet were a, a small British company, one of the victims of the the Japanese imports that, that wiped out all the old British companies. But that was you know they weren't forward looking enough, and they weren't renewing their tooling and design and innovation. Fantastic production processes, absolute rubbish. They used to Velocet used to have a process where 
they've matched up. I'm, I'm sure this probably goes for most of those kinds of motorcycle manufacturers back in the up until the 50s and 60s. They, they'd have um, uh, cylinders manufactured, uh, they'd have pistons manufactured, and then they just kind of try them out one with the other until they had a pair that fitted. Oh my gosh! <laughs> which, wow. Which is totally not the way, you know. By that time, the Japanese were manufacturing everything to tight tolerances, and, and right. it was a sweet fit, you know. So you could always replace like your replacement process was that much easier. Anyway, they Velocet produced some fantastic sports motorcycles. They had a scooter, which was before the Italians had a scooter, but it was a big wheel scooter mm. that much like the ones that are kind of all over the roads of Italy and France these days. Um, but the, the, the Velocet scooter, the uh, Viper, I think it was called, mm-hmm. was a 100 miles an hour big wheel scooter. Wow. And that was in the late 50s. So that was really well – in all kinds of ways, they were ahead of the game. Yeah. But they didn't survive as a company beyond the early 70s. So my first ride on the back of a Velocet, but, I mean, you know, that would be a, a staggering, what, well over 100 miles an hour motorcycle, which was something in those days. Yes. And it was a big single, a 500 single, and riding across Blackheath, the open grass with a few bits of blacktop kind of zigzagging across this heath on the back of a, a new friend's motorcycle, and you could feel each stroke. It was such a low-revving, slow-revving engine, but with enormous torque, and you could actually literally feel each stroke kind of firing you forwards wow. as you accelerate. <laughs> what a great mate. I mean, really a fantastic experience. Uh, a, a motorcycle that would break your ankle if you didn't have the technique right to start it. Oh, know, fairly high compression. Yeah, well, thanks for taking us on that wonderful ride. What what fun that was. Was there a first vehicle in your life that you've owned that brings back great memories? Well, I suppose, you know, not. They're, they're, I did have an MG Magnet. That wasn't absolutely the first vehicle that I had. I had um, a lot of Morris Miners because you could buy a Morris Miner for twenty pounds back in those days, <laughs> twenty pounds. Wow! I mean, you know, what is that? Thirty, you know, twenty-five dollars. Yeah. Anybody of our age will remember those days when you could pick up a, a car for next to nothing. But um, you know, I had a few Morris Miners, but I wouldn't. You know, they're notable for their deficiencies rather than <laughs> positives. Uh, but I did have an MG Magnet, which was a really very very heavy, but a really classic British saloon car. Yeah, and, and then my wife at the time drove it up a bank and nearly turned it over. That was the end of that one. Uh oh. <laughs> what what year would that have been? That car? That would have been a. It was probably early sixties. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, I'm going to get into your head a little bit, Sandy. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, now you could, in your case, I always ask this of my guests, some kind of vehicle, but you could be a model. That would be fine. Uh, sitting on someone's desk. This is more about your personality in that vehicle, not what you want to be. What would Sandy Copeman be? So I think I might be a Moto Guzzi Falcone. Oh, we're back to the bikes. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be, you know, for sure. I love car. I remember taking a um, Lotus Cortina for a drive back in the late 70s. And I love cars and performance cars. That was a fantastic drive. But um at heart, truthfully, I'm more a two-wheel man. Really? So, yes, that's always been where my enthusiasms are most focused. But not in terms of, you know, clearly in terms of models. There's a, a lot more going on with a Ferrari than there is with a Moto Guzzi Falcone. But the, um, maybe not in terms of details, but in terms of the beauty of the object, you know, the car's always going to win. So the Falcone was a... Um, I, 
couldn't tell you when they first started manufacturing them, probably in the mid-40s, I would guess, just after the Second World War. But it was a motorcycle that was much used by the Italian Postal Service. Oh, really? <laughs> and it, and I, I don't know what bacon slices used to look like in the US, but in Britain we had a, a, a kind of bacon slicer that was pretty much always painted in a blood red with gold detailed paint, you know, some little flourishes of paint on it with a, a big chrome um, polished flywheel and a, and a blade that cut through your bacon. And the, <laughs> there is a weird resemblance with, with the Falcone. It does look a bit like a bacon slicer on wheels. But it, it's a 500cc single again. But in this instance, the, the cylinder's pointing forwards, and it's a very low compression, a long wheelbase because the cylinder's pointing you know, towards the front wheel. It needed a bit of extra wheelbase to accommodate that engine. Yeah. And it's a lovely, lazy, lolloping kind of a ride. And I don't know, I just kind of find it's probably where I've, where I've arrived at in terms of the point of life that I'm arriving well, at. In. You know, this is an interesting answer because having known you a bit, uh, you seem like a very nice guy, a lovable guy. And the Moto Guzzi from its riders is an incredibly loved bike. I mean, they're fanatics for these bikes and they're bikes that people who buy Moto Guzzi, they don't let them go. They just keep them and they just keep buying more. They're just, they're, they're just that yeah. personality. So I think you answered that question very well, Sandy. We are entering what I call the last lap, a bit of a lightning round. I'm going to blip off some Moto Guzzi throttle, twist of the wrist questions, and I'll expect some real quick answers. So here we go. What's one of your personal habits, Sandy, that you believe has helped contribute to your success? So listen very carefully. Mm. This all stems from um, working with architects and designers, but, you know, you're there to serve. And I think that is right through every aspect of life. Everybody serves somebody and listening and understanding what somebody wants and what their desires are is very important. Yeah, my mom used to say that's why uh, God gave us two ears and one mouth uh, to listen yes. more than we speak. So yes, you can learn a lot more. I try to be a very good listener. I do that all day with a lot of uh, wonderful, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Now, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? It would be Tazio Nuvolari. Oh, yes. Tazio would probably bring along a big bottle of cheap Italian red wine because <laughs> you, can, you can see him guzzling this stuff as a refresher yeah. on his way around, you know, <laughs> when he stops to refuel on the Millimilia. Yeah. And I think he's just an amazingly, you know, he's very rough, tough, looks like a, a, a fighter, a boxer or something. He's quite a small character, actually, so he'd be a featherweight. But he's a fantastically attractive character, clearly knew how to enjoy life as well as being enormously ambitious yes. and determined. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to automotive or motorcycle advice, what's one piece of wisdom someone else has offered you? Only own what you can use and enjoy. Ah, boy, that's a great one. Yeah, I love it. Now, when it comes to resources, there are so many for us these days. Is there one particular go-to for you? Maybe this is a website, an app you use, a supplier, even a person in your life. Yeah, so I choose because a lot of the model making that we do requires, we're referring to pictures, modern cars, we Formula One cars and so forth, we, we get those supplied by the team or the manufacturer. But when we're doing classics, we use the an archive of images called Motorsport Images. 
And that is the biggest motorsport archive in the world. They, it's a, an agglomeration, an amalgam even, of um, a, whole <laughs> bunch of <different laughs> a whole bunch of different archives. Yes. Schlegel Milch, um, LAT Images, uh, Keith Sutton. So a lot of this is British and it's Formula One. But they've also acquired a whole bunch of it's, it's an amazing archive. And for us, that's a fantastic resource. In addition to motorsport images, I think there's an absolutely wonderful set of photographs that I'd love everybody to see. I think they're amazing. Shot by a guy called Richard Kelly, and his website is richardkellyf1.com. And he was in the paddock uh, from 1972 to 1984. He was a journalist photographer prior to getting involved in Formula One. Mm. And his style was just to wait until something interesting happened with one of the one of the drivers or one of the characters that was in the paddock to just be a fly on the wall and capture the moment. And believe me, you, you'll be blown away by them. They're mostly black and white. Yeah. But this is a, a view, you know, a kind of an in-depth insight into the personality and the emotionality of the drivers during that period. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to go look at that. Okay, very cool. RichardKellyF1.com. Make sure I put a link to that site on Sandy's show notes page. Now, when it comes to uh, great books, is there one that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, and I'm going to deviate again in that this is not a, a book about car drivers or cars. It's about a World War II pilot his name was Jeffrey Wellham, and it is um, his autobiography, and it's called First Light. And he was a, a Spitfire pilot in the Battle of Britain, and he was one of the youngest, if not the youngest pilot. He was actually flying in the Battle of Britain at 19, and he, he started his training when he was just 18, and he was pretty damn good. So he got fired out, you know, pushed him into the air pretty early. But it's a tremendously honest and... You know, you really sense the the full personality of the man, his courage, his honesty. Fantastic. I mean, it's 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 just a really, really engaging and emotional ride. Highly recommended. First Light, and his name is Jeffrey Wellum, W-E-L-L-U-M. All right, cool. I'll make sure to put a link to that on Sandy Shona's page. First time that book's been recommended here. I'll remind my listeners is a great place on the Car Show website called Guest Recommended Books. There's over 1,700 books listed there, and I made it really easy for you to buy them. Just a quick click away, I should say. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. A little fun here with you today, Sandy. I'm going to buy you a very cool collector car. Anything in the world, and I'm going to park it in your garage. But as my listeners know, there's a couple rules to this game. Since I'm writing that big check, what could be a very big check, you can't sell it to uh, fund more of your business. I want you to keep it and enjoy it. It needs to tick a lot of boxes for you. Uh, and it's the only one cool collector car or motorcycle, if that's what you'd like, that you can have in your garage. So what am I buying you today, Sandy? You're going to buy me a Ferrari 330 GTC. Oh, okay. Well, beautiful car. I mean, stunning car, beautiful classic cruiser, if I dare call it that, because it's way more than that. What is it about? Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, it's a gentleman's car, I would say. Yeah. Right. I mean, I argue that point is that I think it, it, it's definitely got, and that is one of the reasons that I I love it so much, but it, it's... um. 
it certainly looks like it's a comfortable, proper drive. You know, this is not a car that's going to challenge you every time you climb into it. But on the other hand, it, it has got performance. Yes. You know, it's a really good, and certainly back in the day, that was a, a pretty high-performance car. And it's beautifully engineered, unlike many Ferraris that came. It's a good period for Ferrari, that. Yeah, I had, of course, the Colombo V12, which you got to have if you're going to have a yeah. Ferrari, right? Paninfarina yeah. design, which is absolutely stunning uh, and yeah. beautiful. So, yeah, and that's why I, I probably uh, called it less than it is in the way of a cruiser. But it really, to me, could get out and go down the road so nicely and so comfortably. But if you wanted to get yes. on it and go through the hills and the Alps or wherever you might be taking it, yeah, yeah. you'll do it in style. What color would you like yours to be? Just so I get it right. Yeah, you know, I was just looking at the researching the, the the proper names of the colors prior to this, and I struggled to be honest. But the one that I th there's a dark blue metallic, okay, that I've often seen it in, which is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it, it's sort of medium dark blue, yeah, but it's so classic. I mean, there are also some beautiful greens that they produce them in as well. Yes, dark okay. metallic greens. So red, no. Yeah, I think this car needs to be something a little more sophisticated. So uh, I like that dark blue metallic. Sandy, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. This has been so much fun, and I want to thank you for calling in and, and joining me today. Before I let you go, though, would you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the English countryside in that beautiful 330 <laughs> GTC? So I would say that all success in life and business is down to teamwork, whether you realize it or not. And I'm like, I quote Henry Ford, who I don't, Henry had some serious character thoughts. <laughs> issues, <but>. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a few issues. Touch racism thrown in there. Yep. Um, but his dictum was, when everyone is going in the same direction, success is inevitable. I thoroughly agree. Absolutely. Well, speaking of teamwork, I want to do a shout out to Tom Gibson at Gibson Communications for connecting Sandy and I, even though we did talk a long time ago, uh, I've always wanted to have him on the show. So Tom helped make that happen. Thank you, Tom. And I want to make sure I'll put links to the Amalgam Collection website, amalgamcollection.com. You also can go to their Instagram page, Twitter page, Facebook page. You can see these magnificent models. And if you're like me and maybe you can't afford a half million dollar toy to park in the garage, you can certainly enjoy a very very fine replication of those cars uh, in almost any way you want to put on your desk check out amalgam and when you go to the website again pour yourself a long tall drink you're going to be there a while you're going to be blown away by what you see and you can reach out to them and ask them any question you would like sandy thanks for being so generous today with your time and Thank expertise you, well you're welcome this has been just a delight until you and i talk again my friend i'll see you down the road <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover 
and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!